Good morning, my name's Dean. I'm one of the uh, pastors here at Alpine. If you're fusion um, age and you want to go back to class, there's a class in the back for you. wanted to mention that, but it's great for, to see you all here this morning. I feel like a little added pressure because you came out like in the snow and you had to really work to get here. And so like if I'm a bomb, you're like, man, why did I do all that? Just to... So hopefully, um, hopefully God speaks to you this morning um, and you're glad that you came. So we are excited about starting a new series um, this new year. And so we're starting a new series in the book of Mark. Usually, this is kind of new for us at Alpine. We're usually more kind of a topical-centered uh, messages, but we're going to tackle the book of Mark over the next several weeks. And so um, we'll see if you have that perfect attendance that John is talking about as we go through the book of, the book of Mark. And Mark is one of the four Gospels that start out the New Testament, that are kind of uh, biographies of Jesus in the first century. They all have different authors, and they all kind of have a different audience, so the message is a little bit different for each one of us, but we're going to start and look at the book of Mark, and today we're going to be looking at the book, the author, the audience, and the big idea that really is tied into um, the first verse of the book of Mark. But we're going to save that verse for a little bit later on. And I'd like to start by asking you a question this morning. And the question that I'd like to ask you is, if you wrote a book about what mattered most, what would be the first verse or the first paragraph of that book? I imagine it would have to do with whatever's on your heart and whatever's on your mind um, would probably be, be what it would be. I remember um, I actually several years ago wrote a book, and it was uh, on Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way they should go, and uh, when they go old, they will not depart from it. And the premise of that first paragraph in my book was, well, is this a promise or is this a principle? And so that was what was on my heart at that time. And so when we ask what matters most to you, maybe we really shouldn't even ask you. Maybe we should ask your friends and family because sometimes we want to believe some things about ourselves that might not be what comes across to our friends and family. Um, but anyways, um, it, would be in, it would be interesting to see what they would say. And we're going to see what matters most to Mark as we move on this morning. But um, first we're going to look at the book and we're going to look at uh, some true and false questions. I thought I'd get you involved this morning in, in the message. And so we're going to start off with some true and false. Now you don't have to yell out the answer because if you're wrong, you'll probably feel embarrassed. If you're right, then you're being boastful. So it's best just to probably say it like to yourself and nobody else will know but so anyways first true or false question as it relates to the book of Mark is the book of Mark is the latest written and shortest of the four gospels so go ahead and answer that question the answer to that is false 
It is the shortest gospel, um, but it is the earliest written of the four gospels. It was written around 55 AD, and most scholars believe that it was used as the foundation or the basis for the other gospels writers who wrote those gospels. Second true or false question. Do we have anybody that's right so far? You could tell me that. That's not being boastful. Second question. The book of Mark focuses on the teachings of Jesus. Sort of a trick question. That is false. Um, and the reason it's false is because it really focuses more on the miracles of Jesus, and it's a book of action, and it also has very vivid descriptions of those miracles, and it really doesn't focus as much on the teachings of Jesus as the other Gospels do. And we'll learn why that's true as we get into the audience. But the book of Mark does cover almost all of the miracles that are in all of the Gospels, but it doesn't include a lot of the parables and the teachings of Jesus. Third and final true or false for you for the book of Mark. The word immediately is used over 40 times in the book of Mark. Well, if you make that outlandish statement, it's probably true. And it is true that that word is used that many times in the book of Mark. And the fact that the book is full of action and has a sense of urgency to it shouldn't surprise us that that word would be used so often in the book of Mark. An example of this is in Mark chapter 1, 16 and 17. It says, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him couple other examples of this in the book of Mark. Mark 9, 23 through 24 says, And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the boy's father cried out and began saying, I do believe, help my unbelief. Mark 10, 52 says, And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and began following him on the road. And then Mark 11:2 says and said to them, "Go into the village opposite you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there." So this continued use of the word immediately is communicating that the action that resulted was tied directly to Jesus. Jesus was the cause of what took place. And Mark is trying to emphasize this in the book. And the book of Mark is a great gospel for today's reader because it moves quickly like scenes from a movie. And it's probably those reasons why missionaries who translate the Bible start with the book of Mark. It's very descriptive, it's very basic, and it gets the truth across. So moving on to the author. 
of the book of Mark. True or false question? We'll keep on with that. Did the author of the book go by more than one name? That would be true. The early church unanimously believed that the account was written by John Mark. And we first meet him in Acts 12, verse 12, where he's at his mother's house, Mary, and it refers to him as Mark, and also called John, John Mark. We're going to move to a multiple question answer here. So what was Mark writing? A, what he saw. B, what Paul spoke. C, what Barnabas spoke. Or D, what Peter spoke. Okay, got your answer? Answer is D, it's about Peter. So the early Christian writers all agree that Mark was the interpreter for Peter with whom he had um, been with on several occasions. And this was affirmed and confirmed by Peter himself in 1 Peter chapter 5. So Mark gathered information from Peter's preaching and his memoirs and organized it into a coherent story. I remember when I was a young kid, we had this neighbor come over who had served in the war, and we sat around and listened to his stories and were kind of you know, just amazed at, at the things that he was saying. And I'm sure that Mark had that experience when he sat at Peter's feet and heard the many stories and events that Peter had had with Jesus. I remember that we used to have something before cell phones. It was called a camera. And the camera, you took photos, right? And then you took the film in and got it developed and you actually got pictures back. Anybody remember that or like I am really old these days, but if you don't remember that, I'm sorry, but that's the way it used to be, and you could get, like, duplicates of the pictures, and if you were like my wife, you could get quadruples of the pictures. I don't know why she did that. She's here. She knows I'm saying it. I don't know why she does that, but anyway, so you get all these photos, and the concept is that you put them in an album, and you kind of line them up, and it tells a story. Some of us never get to the album, and they just are in bags or whatever. But the concept is that you took those pictures so you could put them in an album and share a story. And that's what Mark was doing with Peter's preaching and memoirs. He was putting together the story of Jesus. We also know this about the author. We know that for, from Colossians chapter 4 that he was a cousin to Barnabas. And Barnabas and Paul went on a missionary journey, and Mark went with them as a kind of a helper. And during that journey, um, Mark decided he was going to, I guess, bail on them. And so we, we picked that up in this uh, passage here in Acts 13. It says, Paul and his companions then left Paphos by ship for Pamphylia, landing at the port town of Perga. 
There, John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. But Paul and Barnabas traveled inland to Antioch of Pisidia. So, later on, Paul wants to do a second missionary trip. He wants to go back to those cities. He wants to go back and see how those believers are doing. And so he asks Barnabas, hey, Barnabas, you want to come back with me and go visit these cities? And Barnabas said, sure, let's go. But can we take Mark with us? And Paul said, no. Um, and the division was so great that Barnabas ended up taking Mark, but he went off to Cyprus, and Paul picked Silas to continue on with their journey. So we don't know why Mark left that first journey. We don't know if it was. Some scholars believe that because his cousin was Barnabas, and Barnabas was kind of the original leader in the church, and Paul kind of took over, maybe Mark was a little upset that Paul began to take leadership on that first missionary journey. Maybe he was just homesick. We don't really know why Mark left, but we do know that Mark didn't throw in the towel. And that's something that we should take note of, that he didn't throw in the towel. He didn't give up on his faith. He didn't hold a grudge. He kept on ministering. You know, and within the church, sometimes things happen. And there's people that maybe we disagree with, um, maybe we're disappointed with, things didn't work out the way we thought they would or should work out. And sometimes we want to bail. And sometimes we bail on our faith when we do that. And so Mark didn't do that. He kept on ministering. And very interestingly enough, later on in Paul's life, we find out in 2 Timothy that Paul actually requested Mark to come assist him. And he said that he was helpful to his ministry, that he was useful for the gospel. So Mark continued on ministering, and at the end of the day, Paul saw him as useful. It should remind us in our lives on how we respond in situations similar. Well, this brings us to the audience, another true or false question for you this morning. The audience was most likely Gentile Christians. The answer to that is true. Um, more than likely, they were Gentile Christians, probably in Rome, and more than likely, they were beginning to face some persecution. And our first clue that it was Gentile Christians is that Mark ends up spending time explaining Jewish customs um, to his audience. And if the audience was Jews, they would not have to learn about the customs. And so kind of gives away the fact that he's really talking to the Gentiles. An example of that is found in Mark um, chapter 7, where um, he's talking about, Mark talks about the practice of washing hands. He says, for the Pharisees, 
and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing the traditions of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. So we kind of get a hint here that Mark is having to explain some of the Jewish customs to his Gentile audience. And our second clue is the focus, as we've already mentioned, is on action. The Romans didn't really care what was said. What they cared about was what happened. And so they didn't really care about the ancestry. They just cared about the ability. And so we see Mark not spending any time with the genealogy. He doesn't spend any time talking about Jesus' youth or his birth. The Romans didn't really care where you came from or what you said. They wanted to know what you did. And that's what Mark answered about Jesus. He presented Christ as the mighty conqueror over disease and demons and death. And if, in fact, it's true that they were beginning to face persecution, then they needed to know that this Jesus was who he said he was. They needed to be reminded and shown that he was God. And we, too, are actually finding ourselves in a similar situation today as opposition towards Christians is beginning to increase. Feels like it's snowballing just a little. We too have to decide if Jesus is who he claims to be and whether we're going to follow him. It's easy to follow Jesus when it's the in thing to do to go to church and be a Christian, but when things change and all of a sudden you're labeled negatively, all of a sudden you're thrown into a camp that you're saying, that's not the camp I belong to. It becomes a little more difficult. And for the audience, if they were going to commit to Jesus and be sold out as disciples, they needed to be reminded of the things that Jesus had done that proved who he was. And that is what Mark sets out to do in the Gospel of Mark. He presents who Jesus is and what he has done to show who he is. And this theme begins right from the very first verse of the book of Mark. And this is what matters most to Mark. This is what he desires to get across. The first verse of Mark says, This is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. Everything else that follows demonstrates this statement. So let's look at this statement for just a second. We start off by looking at the fact that it is good news preached about Jesus. It's not just about good news preached about him, it's actual good news about Jesus. The Gentiles needed good news. Paul reminds us in Ephesians, he says that, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles, were separated, excluded 
strangers, having no hope, being without God in this world. And the good news was that Jesus brought those that were far away close. He turned them into fellow citizens and fellow heirs in God's household. That's the good news. You know, Jesus' name in Hebrew is Yeshua, which means Yahoo saves. And we just learned through our last series about the birth of Christ, we learned that, you know, an angel came to Joseph and said, you will call this child Jesus because he will save them from their sins. Jesus is also the Messiah. The word here actually is, in Greek, is Christ. Um, the Hebrew word is Messiah. Both Christ and Messiah mean the same thing, means the anointed one. So the message Mark is sending here is that Jesus was the anointed one that God had promised, that would fulfill the prophecies of the Old Testament, that would set up his rule and his kingdom. And in the pages ahead, we learn a little bit more about exactly what that kingdom looks like. But Mark defines and shows that Jesus is the anointed one from God. And then he finalizes and culminates by communicating that Jesus is the Son of God. This is a title of deity. That's the focus that Mark makes in this whole entire book in proving that Jesus is deity. You know, in the book of John, we learn Jesus made the statement that I and the Father are one. And when he made that statement, the Jews picked up stones to cast at him because they knew that he was saying that he was deity. And they believed that he was blasphemy. And so Jesus' response to them was, Do you say to me, whom the Father sanctified, whom the Father anointed and sent into the world, I am blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? Jesus referred to the Father and him being one as the same as being the Son of God, truly deity, the focus being that Jesus is God, and that's what Mark sets out from the beginning to show his audience. Well, this is what mattered most to Mark. And for the rest of the book, Mark does two things with this claim to Jesus' identity. And the first thing he does is that he provides evidence for these claims primarily by showing Jesus' authority to heal people from spiritual darkness. Over and over and over again, as you read the book of Mark, you see that. And I'd encourage you maybe this week to spend time just, it's only, you know, it's not like 30 chapters. So it wouldn't take you long just to read through the book of Mark. It does flow like a movie. And you'll see that over and over again. And the second thing 
is he shows us how people responded to that message. Some people responded by denying Christ, by saying it wasn't true. Some people were confused, didn't quite understand what Jesus was saying. In fact, in the book of Mark, if you, go, if you read through it quickly, you'll see over and over again Jesus saying, don't tell them who I am yet. Don't tell them who I am yet. But some other people accepted him. And so the question that this gives us is how do we respond to Jesus? What's our response to who he is? We know what was what mattered most to Mark. He makes it very clear. The question we have for ourselves is, beginning in 2023, what matters most to us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word, your message, your truth. Lord, we're excited about beginning to study this book Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to the truth that it contains, the truth about Jesus and Mark's evidence that he shows. We just thank you for that. We praise your name. In Jesus' name, amen.